But at first, you know, a, a good friend is actually going to join us here. Um, you know him. I bet he feels like a friend to you as well. Really, any hockey fan knows and loves Kelly Rudy. Now, whether you love to watch him play goal in the NHL or you just love tuning into his commentary, whether it be on Hockey Night in Canada or on Sportsnet, I can tell you that Kelly Rudy is as advertised. He is just one of the kindest humans you'll ever meet. He is, I can't say enough about how much respect everybody in the world of sports uh, and, and in sports broadcast adores Kelly Rudy. He is also one of those special people who pulls away the veil when it comes to depression and anxiety. He's such a strong advocate for mental health awareness and, and to have these honest conversations around the struggle. Kelly has shared his struggle. Um, and, and most recently he posted a video talking about uh, being triggered in certain ways and, and, and coping with those triggers. And so I reached out and asked uh, if Kelly would mind speaking to you and I, because British Columbians have been through a lot. I kind of feel like we could all use a discussion on how to manage triggers, especially with this with this storm coming in. If you were listening to, to Mornings with Simi, as you do, Mark Madriga, just talking about another storm coming at us, maybe some snow, rain. It immediately got me feeling anxious, and I'm not typically anxious about rain, born and raised Vancouverite, and yet here we are. So if you've been feeling a little anxious or you, or you want a few tips, you know, Kelly's clearly not a professional when it comes to uh, managing mental health, but he is somebody who's living it and bringing his story to perhaps help me and you deal with ours. So uh, join me in welcoming Kelly Rudy to the program. I'm so glad to have you here, Kelly. <laughs> Hi, Jody. How are you? Great to hear your voice again. I'm doing really well. Uh, when you and I were talking and setting up uh, this, we were going back and forth about uh, your story and how you've been so open and and how you're helping people. You just help people, Kelly. You always have. Can you give the listener who is n- not really aware of your of your journey with anxiety, give a little bit of the backstory, if you don't mind. Okay, so, um, well, I hope this isn't too long-winded, but our, our story uh, really started with Caitlin, our youngest daughter. She's now 28, but when she was 11 years old, uh, we recognized that she needed some help, that she was having some problems. We didn't uh, really know anything about mental health issues back then. Um, and so we took the step to, uh, get her some help simply because her life was unmanageable, Jody. So, Hmm. um, once, uh, she was diagnosed with OCD and anxiety and we started, and she had extensive therapy for years and years and years, uh, we started, I think, uh, understand, uh, mental health, uh, a little bit more. Uh, I think everybody's path is a little bit different. Uh, and then when in 2018, when I decided to write a, my book, um, it became pretty clear to me when I was looking back uh, in hindsight to the summer of 1992, I was having what I thought at the time were rational thoughts. And those rational thoughts um, seemed reasonable. And then all of a sudden, as the season started and progressed, those rational thoughts became irrational. It was, there were things like, can you keep doing this, Kelly? Your career is going to come crashing down. You're, you know, you're in your 10th year in the National Hockey League. How long can you keep this up? All these doubts. And the doubts became, 
or they grew louder and louder. And so, but I didn't recognize it, Jody, until really, you know, 2018 that I just thought I went through a slump, but I didn't recognize that I had mental health issues back in the early 90s. But then I was, you know, in a pretty good place. I, you know, we all have anxiousness and things. And then in the summer of 2019, then it became very similar to me. And I was having these doubts. I was having these thoughts again. I thought they were somewhat reasonable. And then they turned into irrational. And then I, uh, I had a really, really hard time with uh, my life for about two and a half years. And as I mentioned in my video on Wednesday, um, you know, I've been seeing somebody for well over a year. I, I, I haven't gone as frequently just now, but for a solid year, I was going every single Friday to see somebody. So uh, pretty, I think, pretty extensive therapy. And then um, nine weeks ago, I got triggered for the first time in my life. And I, I, I kind of understood it a little bit from Caitlin and from hearing other people. But until you go through it, uh, you know, you, you, that's a whole different experience. And uh, I'm not ashamed of anything of what I'm going through. That's just, that's just me. I didn't expect as a 60 year old man that I'd be going through all this. And, you know, I kind of, I guess, Jody, I've accepted the fact that uh, this is going to be my life for, you know, maybe the next little while, maybe, maybe it's my life and, and I'm okay with that. Jody Vanson for Mike Smith on this Friday. Hope it finds you well. It certainly finds me well because I'm having a conversation with one of my favorite people, Kelly Rudy. You know him likely from his days as an amazing netminder in the National Hockey League or as a sports broadcaster and commentator on Sportsnet and on Hockey Night in Canada and also an advocate when it comes to raising awareness about mental health struggles. Uh, And Kelly, before the break, you were mentioning your story um, the, the story of your daughter uh, and, and, and sort of the journey that you've been on identifying that what you thought were just regular, you know, self-talk that challenges you and how it, 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 it turns into something um, more impactful personally for every individual. I think all of us have had moments uh, where, you know, we, we overthink things and then we ask, you know, maybe is, is this normal? Uh, and so it's so great to be able to check in with oneself and, and, and ask for help. You, you mentioned reaching out uh, for therapy. And I know a, a mutual friend of ours, actually, TC Carling, it, it just DM'd me and said, I'm listening to every word. I live the same thing most of my days. I'm learning from you and Kelly. It's so valuable. So even just right then and there, one person, It gives me goosebumps to hear your story. I watched your video on social media the other day where specifically, Kelly, you were talking about being triggered. Can you explain what 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 you mean by being triggered and and how you've learned to sort of manage those uh, instances? of all, TC's a dear friend, so uh, to both of us and to many people, and the work that TC's doing is uh, a game changer, so I love him. And uh, yeah, I'm going to be working with TC in the uh, future, but um, okay, so well, I'm just learning all this, right, uh, Jody, about the triggers and how it affects me and what I need to do. I can tell you the number one thing for me when I feel this coming on um you know i have to what i do first of all i'm there's i have no hesitation because i 
it's a very familiar feeling. It's, it's only happened to me six times, but I know what's happening right off the get-go. So I, if I'm at home, I tell my wife, and if I'm on the road, I call Donna. So it's very important for me to start talking about it so that it doesn't go on and on and on. And I've talked many times, and many people with mental health know the loop. And the loop is a dangerous place because uh, it goes round and round and round in your head. And if you don't have the tools to break that cycle, you're in a bad place. And so that's what I need to do. Donna's great at distracting me. Um, and I don't know if this is lucky, if this is the right word. For me, usually when I get triggered, it only lasts for about two hours. Now, it's an unpleasant two hours, but I had one experience where it lasted pretty much the entire day. That was awful. Um, and, and I, I, I kind of, I know what it, what it was about, but, uh, for people listening, um, I, I think my message is, is one of, uh, it's a happy one. It's a positive one that you can get through it. If I can get through it and I can share my story, we can all get through it together. We're all in this together, right, Jody? This is yep. beautiful that we're having this conversation and you're, um, allowing me to share this story. I know when we were texting, that uh, you you know you have got a pure heart and we're <clears throat> we're trying to do the right thing for people because I know so many people are struggling. I don't want to get too yeah. I don't want to pontificate too much, but Canadian Mental Health Association, whom I've worked with for many years and I in work, but they'll tell you one in five Canadians uh, are affected, and I say that number is wrong. I say one in five uh, probably have a mental health ill or yeah illness. And, our, and their life is unmanageable. That's where Caitlin was. Um, yeah. My life had never become, I guess, unmanageable, but I was right on the border. I, I, like in the uh, June of this year, my life was right on the, on the line of unmanageable. And luckily for me, I, can, I was continuing to see the person that was helping me. And if not for my family, it would have been a hard go. Well, it would have been a harder go because it, it was tough. So you, you mentioned, Kelly, about that piece of paper that you carry with you. What Tell us that. Yes. Okay, that, that's a game changer for me also. And this is a tool I learned actually in uh, 92, 93, when I was able to work with Tony Robbins, which was a, a blessing, right? My coach, yeah. Barry Melrose, uh, he knew I was in, in big trouble mentally. And so I was able to work with Tony one-on-one. And that's one of the tools that Tony uh, taught me to write down my thoughts uh, on an index card, and I carry it with me everywhere I go, Jody. It's in my wallet. I, as I mentioned, uh, I had been, I've been doing really well, but on Saturday was a particularly tough night for me, and so I chose to take that index card and put it uh, right beside me so I could look at it while I was on air. That, you know, that kind of tells you how desperate I was, but it's good. And their, their thoughts, I, I, won't, I don't need to go into all the thoughts or what I write down, but number one is breathing, right? So I think right. for anybody going through an episode, we need to breathe. That's, that's first and foremost to start to help us. And then I have a, a number of things uh, that help me sort of break that loop. 
Yeah. The distraction piece, you know, the breathing part, um, my, yep. my good friend, um, who's a, a child psychologist uh, and a family psychologist, Michelle Cambola, she was the first to tell me it's not even about breathing in as much as it is about breathing out. Because when you get anxious, you start to hold your breath. And I was like, wow, that's just such a great tool. So even just starting as, as cliche, it may sound to some, if you are feeling inc- incredibly stressed, just get mindful in the breathe in breathe out and and think about and and Kelly I, I have such great respect for you sitting on that massive stage that is hockey night in Canada on a Saturday night and 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 toughen it out on the on the I gotta do my job which we all we all feel to a, a large extent but then being open enough to share all of this with you I have so much gratitude for you next time you come back on the radio with me we'll talk hockey for sure but I just want you to know great respect and and I just adore you. Thanks for doing this. Jody Vance in for Mike on this Friday. Glad to have you along with us. You know, Mike's a big foodie. I'm a big foodie. I actually went to culinary school prior to getting into broadcast. My mom was like, please get something to fall back on <laughs> before you get into, at the time, sports broadcast. So cooking is... Uh, you know, innate in so many people and others, it's more of an adventure and, and you need all the tips you can get. Well, there's something here for you as well. Uh, but most notably, we're about to speak with one of, if not Canada's best of the best, uh, certainly the most decorated chef across the country when it comes to taking on all competitions, food network style. Uh, she is uh, Canada's top chef winner, Canada's top chef all-stars winner. She went to the to the bitter end, if you will, of the Iron Chef gauntlet, if you've ever watched that on Food Network. I'm a bit of a Food Network nerd. I love me some Beat Bobby Flay. And oh, man, when our girl, Chef Nicole Gomez, beat Bobby Flay, it was really something else. Listen to this. The winner of Battle Chicken Farm is... Chef Nicole, you just beat my You beat Bobby Flay. Nicole Gomez is on the line with us. I've been just dying to talk with you ever since I saw that you were teasing that you were on. I'm like, did she win? What what was her signature dish? What was it like? How did it go? All of the things. Welcome, Nicole. Thank you for doing this, Chef. Oh, my goodness. Thank you for having me. It's so trippy to hear that. <laughs> I know. And then right after you, that, you're like, oh, my God, I beat Bobby Flay. Well, that's going to look good on my resume. I'm like, yes, it will, girl. <laughs> oh, man. So can you, can you even, I don't know what you're allowed to tell us or what you're not allowed to tell us, but start with picking up the phone when they say, uh, you want to be on Beat Bobby Flay? Yeah, it was such a random email. And actually I got the email in 2019 Oh, in um, August or early September. And I was like, yeah, right. This is spam. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. And um, of course I said, yes, it didn't even matter what the parameters were i just say yes i whenever i feel something in my gut i just say yes yeah i just do it yeah i love that i love that it was crazy and it's it's um it's an interesting journey with um beat bobby slay because it's an american show on food network u.s but airs in canada um and he doesn't have a lot of international contestants come on the show it's uh, mainly u.s contestants so he films 48 episodes in 30 days wow um, he owns the production company, and he out of 48, I was t- one of two international competitors. So it was pretty, I felt really honored when I found that out. I was like, okay, cool. 
This is that amazing. Is very cool. Yeah. So, okay. So take us on, like, okay, you get the email in 2019. When did you actually tape your episode? And one month later in October in New York. Wow. Yeah. So is, you've been, uh, you've kept this secret for a long time, Nicole. Yeah, over two years. But if Damn. you see the contracts, they're pretty scary. You're like, yeah. <laughs> it's like, if you say anything, you're going to owe us a million bucks. It's like, I don't even have oh, a million wow. bucks, but okay. Yeah. But it's, it's actually was something to look forward to, too, with everything that has happened. And um, it wasn't hard to keep it a secret, to be honest. I just kind of go on living my life. And it's been, I've had some practice with that now. Um, you know, and it, you know, it's fun. That's what it's it all is. about. Yeah. So you go, can you take us through the actual behind the scenes at all? Are you allowed to, or is the NDA so tight you're not allowed to tell us what happens behind the scenes? Well, um, it's fine, I think. Okay, let's go. Tell <laughs> me everything. Not, I don't even think they'll be listening. So yeah, <laughs> basically, basically it's an unpaid gig, you know? Yeah. You're, it's all, obviously some of the best PR um, that you can get. Um, and I just show up, they pay for, you know, two, three nights hotel in New York. He films it right in the middle of New York. Um, he has a studio there next to a cop shop. Um, and um, you just, you know, it's a, it's very fast. Production's super fast in the States. It's a yeah. lot different than um, Canada. Um, it's much faster, but just because purely population and density and the people on set. And it, you know, usually on a show that's uh, 42 seconds finished or 42 minutes finished, like an hour long with commercial show, that takes 16 to 18 hours to film in Canada. In the States, that can happen in, you know, 8 to 12 hours max. I think they're quite unionized. But then this Bobby Flay show I was done, like I was in at 6 a.m. and out by 2. So it was an eight-hour day. Wow. Um, Because it's a half an hour show. Um, Yeah, it's it's crazy fast, and I like it. I like fast. Yeah. Like like well, you clearly, I, you, the way so. you cook is, I love watching, I love watching you cook. I really, really do. I Thank can't you. wait to try a cluck and cleaver. Uh, also, we'll get into that. Your, your two locations in Calgary, in the, in the um, uh, franchise that you own with your sister. So I want to get into that with you. But first, let's get to, I, I figured you'd be serving, your, your signature dish would be something chicken, but chicken parm? How did you decide on chicken parm? They just asked me um, what I would cook if I went up against them because I don't know if I'm going to go up against them. It's legitimately, the first round is legitimately a contest. So um, if I beat the guy, what would you cook? And they ask you because they need to make sure that it's something that meets their market and that their viewers will understand. And, of course, I'm going to do chicken. Like, it literally is my favorite thing to cook. Um, Well, I love cooking, period. But, you know, it's... um, it's an easy approachable dish, but there's so many variations of it. And that's really what they're looking for. They don't want a chefy. They don't want too chefy. They don't want like a Parmesan foam and all this stuff. They just want a chicken parm. And I cook. Yeah. And he always does like Mediterranean or like Southwestern type cuisine. And I was like, you know what? Like Italian's my jam. And I was like, I can make this good. I love that. (laughs) Try and put some Calabrian chilies on this flay. You know, yeah, that kind of exactly. thing. Pickle some onions because that's, you know, yeah. he always he's always making those those fancy little touches that go on his Southwestern cuisine or, you know, taking them on on a burger or, or a crab cake. But I love that chicken parm. And it was his daughter that was judging you. One yeah. of the two. Amazing. Which she wants to see him beat, obviously. obviously. <laughs> so this is yeah, so fantastic. So, I mean, 
was it surreal? Uh, did you walk out of there at two o'clock in the afternoon? Just like that just happened. <laughs> yeah, it is surreal. All, uh, to be honest, my whole career is surreal. Like I never in a million years thought I would do TV, to be honest. I just went after that one audition for Top Chef Canada in 2012. And I was like, eh, why not? And then after that journey, didn't like I didn't win that journey. But, you know, the experience was great. It taught me a lot. And I was like, I never thought it would transpire after that. I just thought, whatever, it's just going to be, a, you know, I did it. It's fine. But man, it's just like gone crazy. But then you all started up with Top Chef. I mean, going yeah. back and I mean, I, hello. And then Iron Chef Gauntlet, that has to be terrifying. You know what? That show too, like when I got that call, I'm like, yeah, right. And the, the casting <laughs> producer was awesome. I still remember her to this day. And I actually didn't get on the show. And she goes, we're shortlisting now. Like, we really want you to come on. We have other Canadian, like a couple other Canadians on in the docket and she phoned me she's sorry you didn't get on this round maybe next time and i'm like no and I, this is just me i'm like no we're gonna get on this time like yeah. i was like you have to get me on now or i'm not gonna come back on basically oh. because i had other things going on in my life that like i'd started clocking cleaver and all this stuff so i was like no this is the time this is we gotta do it now and she this phoned me back like one week before they were gonna go film and she's like you know what nicole we got you on the show i was like are you kidding me Crazy. Oh, I love your moxie. Jody Vance in for Mike on this Friday. Glad to have you along with us. And I'm super happy to have Chef Nicole Gomez. She is one of the most decorated chefs in Canada when it comes to food competitions, whether it be Top Chef All-Stars or competing in Iron Chef Gauntlet. But most recently, and and for some of us who are super fans of the Bobby Flay show, <laughs> Beat Bobby Flay, she's a Flay slayer. We are coining this phrase when referring to you, Chef Gomez. Uh, thank you so much for sticking around for another segment. I'm obsessed with following you on Instagram and your social media is so fun. The food that you post about, whether it be just something you're making at home or an adventure that you're on, but most notably, and I'm not just saying this, the Cluck and Cleaver on Instagram is, is I want to go to Calgary just to have it. Are you bringing oh. that? To, to BC. Can we have some here, please? You know, this part, this partnership is with my sister. We own it. Um, it. We love chicken. She was a farmer. I love fried chicken. I worked at KFC when it was my first job. And um, we just kind of were joking about it. We did it. We were trying to build a scalable business model. It, we independently own it now, two locations in Calgary. But the whole premise behind Cluck and Cleaver is that we provide an all-natural, made-from-scratch, product and menu with no preservatives, nothing funny, good, healthy, happy birds from a local farmer in BC, actually at Ross Down Farms. Um, and just making sure that we're making better food fast. And mm. that is essentially our main goal is that we do something better. And so, you know, it's been six years in the making. Yes, we are trying to expand it, but it's been a slow, we've been taking it slow to make sure we're doing it right basically, so we can find the system so that that business runs itself, basically. It it looks just delicious. I just Thank I, you. I can't wait to try. And I do love the ethical piece of that. And the, you know, it doesn't need to be full of preservatives and and funny, uh, unpronounceable words in order to be delicious, you know, and, and yeah. I, I have great respect for that. It's challenging because the price point automatically, like you think fried crispy chicken, and we do rotisserie as well, but like, 
you just think automatically that it's fast food. And right. unfortunately, it's about marketing and like how do you get that out that message out that we're actually doing something different than the major guys, the major players, and we're local. Like it's two that's chicks, great. two sisters, just trying to make it work. Like that's- I love to use chicks because it's Cluck and Cleaver, and it's yeah. the chickens and the chicks. That's that, yeah. there's a whole. So um, <laughs> I also worked at KFC, one of my first jobs. So yeah. uh, high fives on the things we have in common. Yeah. Oh boy, hair yeah, nuts, right? polyester, man. Uh, the phone <laughs> oh, lines are open six zero four two eight zero ninety eight ninety eight star ninety eight ninety eight is free call on your cell phone. We've got got four or five minutes here that we get to to chat with Chef Nicole Gomez about the. Uh, holiday season, real cooking advice or tips? Are you looking for anything? Guy in Peachland has been hanging on uh, since I, I put the shout out. So let's bring Guy in right now. Welcome to the show. Hi, ladies. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. I'm great. Thanks. Hey, Nicole, I, I follow you on Instagram as well. And we, we chat every now and then about gardening hacks and whatnot. And um, I was picking yeah. your brain earlier about, uh, about actually brining uh, chicken to deep fry. And where I'd heard that some people use salt, just straight up salt for a first step, um, you know, and I understand the basics of why we would do that. And then brine. And I brine my chicken, I brine my turkey, I brine my, my chops, my pork for the most part. Um, bit of a cook, not, not anything of your caliber. I beat Bobby Flay, that's for damn sure. Um, and congrats, and congrats on that. It was so awesome. I was so stoked. Thank you. Yeah, it's just great. So I'm just curious um, if there's anything you could provide that would help me make my own little clucker because I can't make it to uh, Calgary right now either. Just save as Jody. And I'm really, uh, we just love to have our crispy chicken sandwiches. And yeah, so I was just wondering if you could provide any more insight on that. Thanks, Brining, thanks, Guy. I know who Guy is. He helps me with my garden, I think, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but I, uh, I, brining is interesting. It doesn't have to be a wet brine, which makes it very complicated when you're doing a turkey. Dry brine works. And dry brine basically means it is salt and sometimes sugar, but we don't use sugar at clock. Um, but brining is for tenderizing really dry cuts, like pork chops that are pork loin, chicken breast, which is really tough. And we use buttermilk because that's a further tenderization Mm. process. There is a ratio for sure. If you want to get technical about it, I'll give you a hot tip. You weigh the meat you're doing with whatever liquid you might be using, like um, buttermilk, that total weight, 1% salt. And it'll perfectly season it and brine it. Now, if you're doing, and this is a hot tip for the holidays, everyone goes, I'm going to brine my turkey in this big bucket of water. Where are you going to store that? Dry brine is amazing. So you can weigh the turkey. It's like, just say it's like five kilos. 1% of five kilos is 50 grams of salt. You just spread it in and out of the bird, let it sit for a day or two because it's a big bird. And that's an Insta brine. That just takes all of the hassle out. You're so great. And people, a guy was just saying that he follows you on all the social media. Let me put out there that it's cluckincleaver.com. So no and, it's just an N in between cluck and cleaver. Uh, Cluckincleaver.com. You can get at cluckincleaver on Instagram, but I love your personal Instagram so much at Chef N Gomez, but it's Gomez with an S, not a Z, uh, G-O-M-E-S. So at mm-hmm. Chef N Gomez. And uh, boy, I, I really hope that uh, we have an opportunity to chat again, because this is, I mean, we've got, 
such a such a wealth of information in what you bring to the table, both figuratively and literally, as a Canadian Aww. chef. And there are so many people that are so proud of you. I just want you to know that. Thank you. Thank you so much. That means a lot to me. It's really epic. Yeah. And you beat Bobby Flay. Man, oh just have fun. Honestly, yes. it's just about having fun. Having fun and and not taking no for an answer sounds like it's worked for you. <laughs> following your gut there. Yeah. I love that about you. Thank, you. Thank you for taking the time for us today, uh, Chef. And I know you're, you know, mid travel, and it's a very busy time of year for for everybody, but certainly those in the in the culinary industry. So thank you for thank this, you. and stay in touch. Let's do it again. It was awesome. Thanks, Jody. Jody Vance with you on this Friday, typically at 10 o'clock on the Mike Smith Show. You hear Baldry's beat. Keith asked if we could push till 1030 today. So we're going to do that. Keith Baldry and Baldry's beat from 1030 to 11 o'clock. All the updates from the BC Ledge, giving us the very latest, as well as taking your calls. Again, that's Baldry's beat happening 30 minutes later today between 1030 and 11. I know you're going to love who's stepping into these big shoes between 10 and 1030. The one and only Jason Tetro is a microbiologist with a specialty in studying emerging pathogens like COVID-19. He is the host of the Super Awesome Science Show. And uh, Jason's always here uh, open to taking all of your questions. There are no dumb questions, no bad questions, any challenging questions. He is ready and set up to take them. We're going to start our conversation today on Omicron, uh, because that was the last time Jason and I spoke was when that was literally just announced that this new variant had been discovered, uh, identified in South Africa, and certainly we've seen it uh, cropping up all over the globe with so much travel. Here is uh, the chief scientist at the World Health Organization with the latest on Omicron. We need to be a little cautious before we conclude that this is a milder form of the virus. And even if it is, which we hope it is, the fact that you're going to have very large numbers because it's so highly transmissible will still mean that people are going to get sick. So I think we still need to go back to the basics. Very important that we understand what we're dealing with here. And certainly Jason Tetro can bring to the table uh, the consumable level. Uh, for those of us like myself who I want to keep it simple, I really want to understand the facts behind this and not get caught up in some clickbait headlines that we see popping up. So let's bring in our good friend of the program, Jason Tetro. Thank you for doing this. Hey, no problem at all. Happy to be here. It has been quite the roller coaster ride since last you and I spoke when Omicron had just been named, in fact, just identified. And then uh, now it's become such a headline. What have we learned since those first genome sequencing tests discovered this variant of concern? What do we know about this? So not much has really changed in our knowledge of the virus, because basically when we had the genetic code, which is what we had the last time we spoke, we pretty much knew where the mutations that could potentially affect the immune system were going to reside. And as I said back then, and I still do now, you're going to have probably about three times less uh, antibody response in comparison to the original lineage, and probably about maybe you know, one and a half to two times less antibody response than you would with Delta. And yet, when it comes to the T-cell response, that secondary response that we all have, there doesn't seem to be any kind of um, problem. It's it's still about 95% effective. Um, and, and if you've been vaccinated twice, 
then you may not have the antibody response because it might be waning as antibodies tend to do. Um, that's why you get a booster. But that from the T cell perspective, you're probably not going to have a serious infection if you have a nice strong immune response. So those are really important points, Jason. I mean, when people want to argue against uh, the obvious best possible defense right now in vaccination, mm -hmm. if they want to say, oh, you're going to get a booster, you're going to get one a month, you're going to get one every year, you're going to mm -hmm. more, the more and more we learn from this COVID-19 experience that we are coming up on two years of, of lessons and, and what a roller coaster it's been, this this day-to-day -day learning of what we're dealing with. We very much know today so much more than what we did in early 2020 when COVID-19 first hit. And we're dealing with even, a, a, as you point out, a, a very different uh, virus uh, in what the original beta was versus Delta and now Omicron. But where would we be without vaccines? Oh, we'd be probably in a really rough situation. We'd be having a lot more uh, hospitalizations. ICUs would be a lot more flooded. Um, and it would have happened earlier. So if you remember back in April of uh, 2020, we had all of these pretty incredible projections about what could happen if we hadn't brought in the uh, restrictions, such as, you know, the social distancing, and then, of course, the, the masking, et cetera, et cetera. And what's really interesting is that if you go back to April and you look at those press conferences and you look at those numbers and generated data, um, people like myself looked at that and like, mm, not going to happen because this is a SARS virus. It, it doesn't mm. spread like the common cold, right? Well, they, the virus must have hurt us because Delta started to spread exactly like the common cold version of itself called OC43. And then Omicron has come around. And while it has a number of mutations more than Delta, it also has the ability to spread kind of like the common cold, but it's not exact. So if you were to actually look at the ability of this thing to spread in an unvaccinated population, Delta would still win. That's basically what it comes down to because it spreads so much better like a common cold. The huh. difference, of course, is that the number of mutations that Omicron has gives it an advantage over Delta because now that we have a majority of, uh, of at least Canadian population already vaccinated, Delta is not a problem. And now it's really come down to Omicron. All right. I want to get people uh, on the phone lines because you know they love to ask you questions. I don't want to run out yeah. of time for those. So 604-280-9898 is the number. 604-280-9898 or star 9898 is a free call on your cell phone. So just that star key 9898 uh, will get you through to Tim French, our technical director, and you can have your question uh, queued up here for uh, Jason Tetro. And and Jason, going back to the vaccine piece of this puzzle, because I, I feel it needs to be reiterated, and, and mm -hmm. you and I have discussed this offline, off the air, uh, in terms of the messaging and and the 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 sort of nasty says one thing uh one province does something a certain way and then how we do things here in British Columbia and when listening to Dr Henry when she talks about how we rolled things out in British Columbia how we continue to roll out vaccine uh for the uh younger cohort and now we are doing boosters in British Columbia for the older cohort it's you know, 65 and, and, and up now, uh, starting this coming week. And, and those people who are, are worried and wondering about the efficacy of vaccinations, when I got it, how it's waning, what the window is between vaccines. Like it's been, it's been incredibly 
confusing or difficult for the layperson to sort of consume. Can you just put it out there in the simplest of terms, whether or not, regardless of the variant at play, what a vaccine protects you from? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I don't even have to uh, explain it too well because it's already now been proven thanks to uh, some papers that have just come out. And here's how it works. All right. If you have been vaccinated, you have an immune response against what is known as a full-length pre-fusion spike protein. It was actually designed to be able to be what we call variant resistant. And even to this point with Delta and Omicron, it still is. The problem, of course, is that you need to have enough antibodies. You have to have the right number of antibodies in order for you to be able to defeat Delta and Omicron because it just makes so much more virus because of the way it spreads, like the common cold, okay? That's why you have to have boosters. Now, a lot of people are going to say, well, what about my natural immunity? What about natural infection? This is where the papers come in. They have actually looked at the people who have been infected with a COVID-19 SARS-CoV-2 version, doesn't matter what variant it is, and they looked at whether or not having a, a previous infection of either, you know, one of the common colds or a previous lineage can actually help you against things like Delta and Omicron. And the answer is no. In fact, it's worse. So when people start talking about selecting for these variants, yes, if you didn't get vaccinated, you are selecting for these variants. Wow. That's what it comes down to. The problem, of course, is that we needed all this time to be able to do the research in the laboratory and then go through the peer review process, which is just a nightmare. Uh, another conversation. Um, totally. In order for us to be able to have those papers come out to essentially solidify and, and, and confirm things that you and I have been talking about for well over a year now. Jody Vance with you, and boy, the phone lines lit up as they always do for Jason Tetro when we're talking COVID-19 and questions associated with Omicron vaccinations. Uh, the emerging science, as Jason, prior to the break, you were explaining some of the latest data that has come in from the labs, the real-world data, what we are facing, what we are seeing. And as I said, the phone lines are absolutely packed. We're going to get to as many of you as we can. 604-280-9898 is the number star 9898 a free call on your cell and we're actually starting broadcasting to british columbia here but our first caller is actually in hawaii brenda welcome from hawaii thank you what's your question for jason well it's for my husband actually he um, is allergic to peg and took astrazeneca for his first two vaccines and uh, we looked up on the BC CDC. It advises not to take the mRNA for the booster because of his allergy to PEG. And, um, but we couldn't find any information as to what the appropriate um, vaccine would be for his booster. Um, and I also did some research and saw that um, AstraZeneca as a third vaccine was of uh, no benefit yeah. So just wondering so, what he should take. So at this point, um, because the mRNA vaccines have been the ones that have been tested in terms of boosters, uh, both the Pfizer and Moderna, that is really the only one that we can use in terms of providing any kind of recommendation. 
Um, we're, we're starting to see some of this stuff from boosters coming out from other countries that have actually looked at AstraZeneca. But uh, I can tell you that they're looking at this in South Korea and they can't seem to stop the, uh, the, the waves. So you're right. It may not have a, a, as great of a, um, uh, of a, of a resistance. What I would definitely suggest is that, um, you know, we have these other meth- methods, these non-pharmaceutical interventions, such as masking, social distancing. I would really rely on that in the, in the short term. I know that you're one of the minority, unfortunately, but I mean, that, that will probably keep you safe. And remember, even if you have had AstraZeneca two shots, you're probably not going to have any kind of severe illness. You just may end up being positive and, and having some minor symptoms. Thank you for the call, Brenda. Let's go to Michael in Vancouver. Michael, welcome. What's your question for Jason? Yeah, I thank you. I just want to say these mixed messages. Like Bonnie Henry said that you have you can only have 10 people during the holidays in your home and then 25 people distance. Well, then why are we having all these hockey games and all? Should the message not be consistent throughout, whether it's a, a sporting event or a home? Because at a hockey game, I went and people were sitting shoulder to shoulder. Nobody was wearing masks. So I think the message has to be consistent throughout. Thank you. We get this question a lot. Thanks, Michael. And you know what, yeah. Jason? I, I've asked this one, and I've talked to Keith a lot about this. You and I have talked about mm-hmm. this. It, it, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm, this is how I would answer Michael's question. is It's the size of the room and the ventilation that you're in, that higher ceiling, yep. that, that openness, right? It's in your home, close contact, sitting across the table from one another, laughing, joking, talking, much more... A possibility for saturated um, virus transmission is that is that at all? Yeah, it's basically the solution is dilution, and when you're in a large arena that has um, some really good uh, uh, ventilation or circulation, you're going to have much less of a chance of being infected by the minimal infective dose. And if I can just take 15 seconds, the minimal infective dose is what this is all about. Okay. You need a certain, to be exposed to a certain number of the virus in order for it to cause an infection. If you are in a concentrated area with people, you're going to have a much higher concentration that you're exposed to. Now, when it comes to something like the flu, the minimum effective dose is 1,000. The original lineage of this SARS-CoV-2 was about 300. Delta, probably about 100. Omicron looks like it's 60. That's what we're talking about. That's why it's so important to follow the ABCs of airway protection, sticking to your bubbles, and knowing who your contacts are. And if it means missing a game, I mean, it might just be the best option for you in the short term. Short on time, long on questions. Marcy and Ladner, you're up next. What's your question for Jason? Hi. Um, I was watching the news the other day, the American news, and there was a lady on there who had uh, was hospitalized because she'd gotten a severe case of COVID. And the reporter was asking her whether she was vaccinated. She said no. And he said, well, are you going to get vaccinated now? And she said, no, uh, I should be good to go because I've already had COVID. And I thought, okay, I don't really understand what's going on here because um, I thought we all, regardless of whether we had COVID or not, a serious uh, event or not, we all needed to get the vaccine in order to have the immunity. So can he explain that? Thanks, yeah, Marcy. Absolutely. And Jason, you and were it, talking about that prior to the break. We've only got 30 seconds here, but give us your give us your Coles notes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the vaccine gives you a variant resistant immunity. 
that's essentially what it was for. Um, and you have to look for the pre-fusion spike protein that's in the mRNA vaccines and also the AstraZeneca vaccine. If you have been infected prior to uh, being exposed, you may not have the ability to resist that variant and you'll have the immune escape. And that's why you want to get vaccinated and not rely on your quote unquote natural immunity. Jody Vance with you. Thank you for being along on this Friday. The countdown is on. The holiday season is here. We're two weeks today from Christmas Eve. Not to spike your stress about getting everything organized by then. Or if you're planning on traveling to 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 stress you out even further about that as if it wasn't stressful enough traveling over the holidays. But now you add in a pandemic and all of the restrictions that could evolve on a moment's notice, the the need for uh, insurance, travel insurance is a big key of this. Uh, how you get tested, when you get tested, how you get your results, what app do you need to put it all in? There's a lot to cover off. Travel is not easy right now. Uh, certainly north and south over the U.S. border. It's great that we can now do non-essential travel uh, across the U.S.-Canada border and Obviously, have always been able to travel abroad, uh, some restrictions in some areas for sure, but you really need to know before you go. And our next guest uh, is going to be here for a couple of segments and and taking your questions uh, as well, if you have some. A good friend of the program, we're welcoming back Len Saunders, immigration lawyer in Blaine, Washington. Uh, nice to talk to you again, Len. Good. Thanks for doing this. No problem. How are you, Jody? I'm good. Do you have jet lag? I do, yeah. So long trip uh, for just a few days. Tell our listener what you did and what it was like for you to go on what is anything but a short hop trip. Sure. So over the last year and a half, I've traveled a lot around the U.S. with really no restrictions um, you know, within the U.S. But this was actually my first trip since the pandemic outside of the U.S. And I actually had to fly to New Delhi, India, which I usually go about once a year uh, to help a lot of Sikh clients uh, who are applying for U.S. visas. And so because of the shutdown of a lot of air traffic to India, I wasn't able to go until after November the 15th. And so it was really interesting just dealing with a lot of the travel restrictions. I know that, you know, this is in Canada, but a lot of Canadians traveled to the U.S., so it was interesting yeah. for me now as a dual American Canadian leaving, but also coming back. And while I was gone is when the Americans started uh, the new 24-hour testing requirement um, that luckily Canadians right now are not subject to, but they may be subject to in the, in the future. So for me, going to India seemed to be the easy part. Um, you know, I got a, you know, my COVID test in Bellingham. And I needed it just within 72 hours, so I got it on a Thursday afternoon and hopped on my flight uh, Sunday morning down in Seattle. So the interesting part was coming back. I came back on Wednesday evening, but now I had to deal with this new 24-hour COVID testing. So I get to my hotel in Delhi, and you know they've organized a lot of testing for people leaving the country. But when I told them it had to be within 24 hours, they're like, we can't do that. You have to do it at the airport. So luckily the airport had a facility. So rather than getting to the airport two or three hours in advance, like I normally do, I got there five hours in advance because I had to literally do the, uh, the test on the spot. So I did the test, waited an hour, test came back negative, made it through security. But it was interesting. So my flight went from... Um, 
from uh, Delhi to Paris and then Paris to Seattle. Both uh, times I had to, you know, show my negative COVID test and had to do a declaration uh, flying into the U.S. Both flights were delayed by about an hour. And the reason why they were delayed leaving was they had to remove baggage from the flights because people did not realize that they had to have the new test within 24 hours. And so both in Delhi and in Paris, our flight was about an hour delayed. And they said, it's because we have to take luggage off for passengers who weren't able to to make it on the flight. And it was interesting because I was getting on the second flight in Paris I saw this dad and son being taken away from the gate, and they all, or at least the ticket agent was saying, you've got the wrong test, you won't be able to make it on this flight. So I think there's going to be a lot of confusion for foreigners flying into the U.S., luckily right now not Canadians, so hopefully they won't make this 24-hour test um, also for Canadians in the future. But it was definitely interesting watching the dynamics. When I landed in Seattle, it was very easy. I wasn't asked about my COVID test. Um, I wasn't asked to prove vaccination. So it's, it's the airlines who are monitoring um, all of these requirements before you hop on the flight uh, to the United States. And they're obviously doing that up in Vancouver Airport. But the nice thing is, as of now, it's only a 72-hour test before you enter the U.S. from Canada. Right. A cautionary tale, though, there, Len. Uh, just reminding our listener, Len Saunders, immigration lawyer in Blaine, Washington, often giving us the advice and, and sort of helping us sort of navigate the travel and, and the to and from and, and all things immigration related, frankly, uh, being a border town, because that's what most cities in Canada are. And certainly uh, Metro Vancouver is that. It's interesting, you know, the, the, the nature of, of the advice there. I mean, imagine having a connecting flight that was tight and you're sitting there waiting as the baggage is taken off as much as you feel empathy for those who either were told that they should get one test and it wasn't the correct one or simply did not know uh, prior to arrival at the airport. Uh, That must be incredibly stressful for everybody. Travel's just a next level of stress in this moment. And I I have a question about um, the to and from uh, Canada and the U.S. because the testing coming into Canada has to be that PCR test, right? And the one crossing land border uh, to the United States—that's the easier, more rapid test, right? Well, so exactly. So if you're, if you know, my my feeling is it's a lot easier, I think, to drive into Canada than to fly. You know, whenever I've flown to India in the past, I've normally flown out of Vancouver Airport because it's easier for me in Blaine, 20 minutes north, to fly out of Vancouver. When I started seeing the Canadian restrictions that recently came in because of this this new variant uh, from Southern Africa, that's why I specifically flew in and out of of the United States because I believe when you fly into Canada now, you have to do a further testing and you may have to quarantine until you get a test two or three days later. I still believe the land ports of entry are much easier uh, to cross back yeah. and forth. You know, you get your test down in Bellingham. Um, you know, quite often it's free if you have a U.S. address. It's done within 12 hours. Um, so a lot of Canadians, I think, will be hesitant on flying in and out of Vancouver if they can find it easier out of somewhere like Seattle. But, you know, what's interesting is the rules are always changing. So here I was, I left the country under one set of rules, returned on another. 
my concern traveling overseas has always been getting the visa. Well, that seemed to be the easy part this time yeah. was getting my visa. The hard part was this kind of moving target on what's required, what forms you have to take. You know, once I landed, it was easy. The Americans really didn't care. It's, it's like the land port of entry here. I think the officers, the American officers, feel like they're not the vaccination police, but it's the ticket agents, it's the, it's the, the, the boarding people that are really monitoring this, whereas at the land ports of entry, it just seems to me so much smoother. And over the last, you know, week and a half since um, the land border has been, you know, the Canadians coming down have not had to do the test within 72 hours, there's a lot of Canadians in Blaine right now. Like, it's almost back to normal. People coming down here, picking up their packages, getting gas, going shopping. So it's definitely nice to see that cross-border land travel has returned to some sort of normalcy. It's with you. A phone lines are open for Len Saunders, immigration lawyer in Blaine, Washington. 604-280-9898 is the number. Star 9898 is a free call. On your cell. Prior to the break, Len and I, we were talking about uh, the to and from travel Canada to the US, but most notably, Len, your trip to India and back. Did you just get back yesterday? Yeah, so what I did, I only go there for a day just for a, a client's interview. So I normally just arrive, I'm there for maybe a day, day and a half, and then come back. So most of it's just traveling on the, on the flights, which were fairly quiet. Like, you know, usually these are jam packed flights. But due to the COVID restrictions and visa requirements, because a lot of people couldn't get visas until recently to return to India, uh, the flights were maybe half full, which is nice. Nice way to travel. It is quite something. The phone lines have just lit up here with questions for you. So let's get to that. I do want to get to the Canadian seeking asylum story that that we're going to be working on together, I think, on this one, because it's fascinating to me. But let's get to a few calls here first. Sam and Coquitlam, you're up. Welcome to the show. Before I talk about border, um, I knew your dad. Uh, he coached me in football, and he was a wonderful guy. Oh, thanks, oh. Sam. I appreciate that. Very tough guy, but trust me, it, it, it takes kids a long way when uh, people are like that. So uh, it was great, great knowing him. Um, so, nice. yeah, we just came back from across the border uh, last weekend, and it was a casino. Uh, the Canadian border agents uh, shrugged their shoulders. They kind of laughed at uh, all of these uh, documents to be signed off on. And actually, he told me a story about himself personally. He couldn't get through his own uh, Air Can Arrive app. He had to lie to it so it would progress through the system. Um, and when oh, we no. went through, yeah, and when we went through, we had to go through. He said, go back through the U.S. border, fill out your, your app, and then come through again. It, it, it's, it's ridiculous. I mean, everybody talks about COVID and science and all that. It's not science. There is science to it, but politics has overridden the science, and it's all about the politics now. In the name of protecting the communities, uh, it, 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 there have been systems. What did Dr. Henry say? It's kind of like building a rocket ship while flying through space, Len? Yeah, but, you know, like th- this Arrive Canada app, that's the main reason I haven't come back to Canada in the last year and a half is all of these restrictions it was honestly easier for me to fly to Indian back than having to do these apps. And I'm hearing countless stories of Canadians, a lot of older Canadians who may not have iPhones, who don't have the technology to navigate this. And they arrive at the border and they're either told to turn around, like the caller said, and do it back in the U.S., or they're handed these quarantine 
restrictions. So, you know, I think there has to be some common sense here by the Canadian government. As long as you can show documents to the CBSA officer, let the person in without any of these restrictions. Okay, so if you have stories about this, we got a few minutes left here, but the phone lines honestly are so lit up. If you have a story about traveling, testing, uh, the ArriveCan app, call our buzz line, 604-331-BUZZ, 604-331-2899. Leave me a message there. We'll play more at the end of the show, but we are going to get through as many of these callers as we can. Let's go to Troy in Kelowna. Welcome to the show, Troy. Hi, how are you? Good, how are you? I'm great. Uh, so the question that I had is uh, with respect to the travel restrictions that are in place. So, for instance, um, I just uh, heard some uh, some percentages based on uh, vaccinated versus unvaccinated um, and who is getting COVID-19. Um, and it's literally about a 50-50 percentage base. So why would there, in fact, even be restrictions in place? If you are vaccinated and you can still contract COVID and the numbers are 50-50, why, why do we even have these in place? I think it's, um, as Len said, it's, it's kind of ridiculous, uh, the amount of you know, bureaucracy and, and political aspect of this and how it's portrayed. And I think uh, the science is, is uh, far beyond you know, where we're at. If it's science, um, and that's what we keep representing, then none of this is based on science any longer. It seems to be just based on um, political aspects of it, just like you said. So I'm just wondering why. I I hear you. I hear what you're saying. I don't know that Len can really answer why there are restrictions in place or not, because it is a government decision, the government of Canada, the provincial government, what have you. Science is a big piece of this still. Um, and, and there clearly are politics at play as we see the difference in tests from one side of the border to the other. So, Len, the frustration that you hear in, in Troy's voice, very eloquently spoken, though, I must say, Troy, um, but that frustration is, is ever growing, is it not? Are you hearing that um, as somebody who works in immigration and sees the people crossing forward and back across the border? Oh, absolutely. So I think, you know, what a lot of people are frustrated who are vaccinated, like myself, is there's still these travel restrictions. I think what these callers need to understand, though, is if you're not vaccinated, there's a lot more restrictions, right? You can't enter the U.S. right now if you're not vaccinated. And if you want to get a green card, like many of my Canadian clients, you can't get a green card if you're not vaccinated unless you apply for a very, very expensive exemption, and that's not guaranteed. So I think there are benefits in being vaccinated for cross-border travel. So we're going to dig into this other story that you brought to the table about uh, at least a couple of Canadians seeking asylum in the U.S. over vaccine mandates. Can you give me the Coles notes in like 30 seconds on this? And we'll get into it next week. In the past, the odd Canadian has kind of jokingly said, well, maybe I'm just going to claim asylum in the U.S. And I laughed them off. Over the last month or two, since a lot of these restrictions have gone into place in Canada, I'm getting inundated, not only by emails, but callers calling me saying, what's the likelihood of me applying for asylum? And I tell Canadians, you have the right to apply for asylum if you enter the U.S. They have to take you and they have to give you a clear, you know, court date. It could take years, though, so it's a possibility. And I honestly think you're going to see a lot of Canadians applying for it going forward who are frustrated with a lot of the COVID restrictions in Canada, in my opinion. We're talking next week about this for sure. Len Saunders, as always, such a pleasure to have you. Thanks so much. Thanks, Jody. Have a great weekend. 
911, what's your emergency? Ah! I'm on a cruise ship! Ah! There was an explosion! Oh my god, the ship is sinking! I can't get out! There's water everywhere! We're going down! I've got a lock on your location, stay with me. Hurry! Hello? Are you there? Help is on the way. Angela Bassett and Peter Krause return in an all-new season of 911 on a new night. Thursday, March 14th on Global. Stream on Stack TV.